Welcome to Cloudlandia. Good morning, Mr. Jackson. <laughs> Welcome uh, to Cloudlandia 2022. I'm never going to lie. I'm never going to say mm-hmm. goodbye. I'm never going to make you cry. Mm. That's, that's what I say for 20, uh, another year. year. That's <laughs> yeah. right. We'll renew. Yeah, you know, it's important. It's important for the listeners on this podcast to actually listen to the wording of the yeah. opening song. It's very mm-hmm. important. You know, the, this wasn't just by happenstance. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Because most, most podcasts in the world live a very short life. They're almost like mosquitoes, you know. That's true. They, they die within days of their That's first, true. first things. So we're, Some live on, we're, and then they take on other forms with, the, with yes. other names. Mm-hmm. Yep. The, yeah. Yeah. They adjust themselves so, to changing circumstances. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I think uh, Dar- Darwin wrote about. I think Darwin, you know, the, <laughs> the, you know, as far as we know, the sort of the originator of evolution, the concept of evolution, and it wasn't the survival of the fittest. It was the survival of the most adaptable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's what we have really seen. Like I'm. You know, uh, you, you look, I look back now, you know, where we are right now. I did a little reflecting on this is certainly the biggest transition that we've made as a, a society into Clavlandia, that this is like, you know, complete game changer of that we've been witness to in the mm-hmm. last 20 years. But you know, I still, I look at the things that are, you know, what, what is the, the role now of the mainland and what is the thing that is how it integrates? Like I'm noticing now I, I have far less of a local, far less of a local sort of footprint or local network and support system or social group, all of that than I've ever had, I mm-hmm. think. And because I'm thinking now, coming into this year, how this it's it does it definitely feels a little Groundhog Day ish. That my life is very contained now. Mm-hmm. You have very little uh, movement, and you're about to get into more interaction with real humans. As you're actually not in. actually not, we uh, made a decision on Friday yeah. that no in-person workshops for January. Okay, that's what I wondered. It's like, and and you know, it's when you look at the various jurisdictions and where people are coming from, and already the people who said they're coming, half of them called to say they're not coming. So that, uh, yeah, so that kind of, um, you know, it was an indicator to us to pay attention because that's what happened with the original lockdown in March of twenty. 13 is that between a Thursday, well, between a Monday and a yeah. Friday, half the people who said they were coming the following week said they wouldn't be coming the following week. So we. Right. And that's what I wonder now. Like, where does that leave us for February? Even? Well, I think you know, February like when, is going to be okay. February is yeah. in Florida. February is yeah. in Florida. So lots of. No. First of all, Illinois is just a swamp. You know, it's just a swamp yeah. of regulations. And yeah. and so is Toronto. So is Toronto. Yeah. You know. So these are our two main centers. Yeah. And what we want somebody to come up here and spend fourteen days and 
uh, quarantine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and, you know, our team is worried, you know, our team have come down with this really bad cold, which they call COVID micron. You know, it's it's actually yeah. a really bad cold. I've had really bad colds. You've had really bad colds. And uh, but they didn't. They weren't packaged correctly. You know, the, all those colds that I had throughout my life, they weren't packaged correctly. You know. Well, and apparently it, now, Dan, the Israelis have figured that they've got the most fearful one now: the flu rona. Flu rona. The flu rona is the new Omicron. It's come now. We're getting out of, now. Uh, we're getting now. We're getting closer to the reality. Uh-huh. Actually, yeah, yeah. Flu iPad. You know, flu iPad. So. Uh-huh. I haven't had flu Rona, but I've had uh, I I had flu, and I knew a person called Rona, but I don't mm-hmm. think they they were uh, part of the same experience. Isn't that something? Like I over Christmas had just general, and I still have a, a general malaise that's not as bad as it was right over Christmas, but you know, coughing and and just really. Um, tired and yeah, that, that kind of thing. You probably That's had it. I thought, well, I had, I got a test. I didn't have COVID. I got a COVID test, did not have that. But it was what was the precursor to it is, you know, we're looking at the, we're all kind of faced with booster choices here now. And I went to get a test, antibody test to see if I, if my, you know, vaccine had created any antibodies and so i got that but i had no no detectable antibodies so my vaccine had completely worn off and i was here i was basking in this false sense of of protection you know yeah isn't that what cloud isn't that what cloud landy is generally though an antibody it is absolutely that you know (laughs) yeah it's anti your body (laughs) yeah well, I don't know if it's anti. We have to find another uh, Latin word that will express the true difference here. But it's really interesting. I've come to a general decision about this whole thing that it's not. It doesn't have anything to do with the virus. Doesn't have anything to do with uh, sickness. It has to do with the concept of lockdown. Okay, so mm-hmm. if you shift your thinking away from disease and everything, it's what we've really experienced is a worldwide, worldwide what, imposition of lockdown in thousands of different ways. And it's thousands of different ways because it's all triggered by political and bureaucratic authorities, lockdown. You know, mm-hmm. and lo- lockdown is like martial law. This is where you're saying normal life cannot go on, and we're putting a form of martial law into place. And it actually clarifies things a great deal if you think of things from a lockdown standpoint. You know, what is the biggest problem of the last 20, 20 months? Was it that you were sick? I wasn't sick. You nope. know, I mean, I haven't, I haven't had any but I've- symptoms. Whatsoever, but I have been enormously affected by lockdown. So I yeah. think lockdown is what I would call a bureaucratic virus. It's a bureaucratic virus. Okay, and here's my thesis. This is this is fresh for the pod waves. That's what okay. I'm going to call. There's pod waves going out. Breaking news. Uh, 
breaking pod waves uh, here. And that is that I think that the emergence of Cloudlandia over the last 20 years, especially with the emergence of being able to do it on your phone, mm-hmm. having the Cloudlandia experience on your phone has overwhelmed all bureaucratic regulatory organizations in the world. And that's not just government bureaucracies, that's corporate bureaucracies, it's nonprofit bureaucracies. The British have a wonderful, wonderful term. It's called quango. You know what a quango is? A wonderful what did you say? They have a wonderful... A quango. They have a wonderful word, which is called quango. And I I love the sound of the word quango. You know, it's just a... Quite yeah. Q U A N G O Quango. I've never heard that. Quango. A Quango is a quasi autonomous non government organization. Okay. 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 And what it means is it's a body that kind of gets tax money, yeah. but it's not subject to any kind of political oversight. So it's a independent body that can do what it wants, but it uses tax money to do that. And it's not actually part of the government, it's quasi-governmental. But, and it's it's actually like the dark free zone. <laughs> mm. The dark free zone. In other words, okay. uh, quangos are designed to be perpetually and eternally parasitic. They create no value but they extract value from taxpayers. Okay. Okay. And if you go through any governments, you know, you take any government, for example, and look through all the programs, all the jobs, all the agencies and organizations, 50% of them are probably not creating any value at all, but they're, they're there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I would say most corporations, not, as much as government, because corporations, by nature of being a corporation, are prob- probably public corporations, and therefore they're being scrutinized every single day by you know people. Is this a good? Well, they're being scrutinized by the stock market, and the market doesn't care about anything except is value. If I bet on this, will my bet pay off? And they look at a corporation and they say, no, pull all the money out of that corporation. And that's what keeps the marketplace quite a bit more honest than the government. But I'm believing that when the virus, which I believe originated in Wuhan, Wuhan, China, when it broke out worldwide, my sense is that every bureaucratic organization in the world said, this might be an opportunity to slow things down. This might be an opportunity to stop things. This might be an opportunity to extend our regulatory control. And that's what I think we're in right now. We're in a regulatory control lockdown. Yeah, this is, it feels like, but it feels like the more, you know, the ability to shout about it is the uniqueness of Cloudlandia right now, like, mm-hmm. that everybody, the resistance is large and bigger than the government. And it was uh, really, I don't know who, who said it or where I saw it, 
there was somebody talking about back in the day, you know, Caesar or some, you know, big emperor thought it would be a good idea to have slaves or people, you know, who were servants or whatever, wear the same color to distinguish mm. them from the, you know, the elite kind of thing. So mm -hmm. everybody would sue. And then mm -hmm. they voted, they decided against it because he was afraid that if they saw how many of them they were, <laughs> that they would realize that they could overpower the elite. Yeah, and we're uh, all of a sudden we're noticing our common yeah. view. <laughs> that is exactly right. Yeah, and that's, yeah. I see yeah. that the voices of that are really like, this is a big, like, important it's the megaphone change, right? And you look at the, what's, I, I just, it's it's interesting how we look at things. Somebody, I saw a, a funny, I don't know whether it was a video or it was a, a picture photo meme that was saying, imagine if, you know, a, you're a major telephone carrier data company and you just decide that you're going to print a book with everybody's personal data in it and give one to everybody who is a customer. Imagining the phone book. You're gonna print mm -hmm. the phone with your name and your address and your telephone number. And we're gonna print this book and distribute it to everybody with a telephone. Well, that's Imagine, I mean, that's just so like, you think about it now, that was like that's so a lot of words. That's considered so helpful back then, but imagine it now. It's like, you know, having your data out there is. If is I'm a tree, so I'm worried. Yeah, exactly. If I'm a tree, if I'm a tree, I'm really worried. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But isn't that funny now had... how it's like we've such privacy? We don't want anybody to know our, our yeah. stuff. No. Yeah. So, so anyway, and I don't think this is any exercise of strength on the part of the bureaucrats. I think it's a last ditch, last, you know, maybe kick at the can of mm -hmm. the bureaucratic class to kind of stop what we don't like, get a, get control over what we, you know, we want to control and everything else. But I think that they, I have a sense, and it has to do has to do with a phrase which has entered the language in the United States. It's a phrase, and it just goes and goes, and it infuriates one side of the political spectrum, and it kind of kind of pleases the other side. And it's the concept of "Let's go, Brandon." Okay, it's a right. phrase. Right. Yes. Okay, and it's four, you know four syllables, and the way it was initiated started with college football crowds in August of this year, where yeah. all of a sudden there was this sort of chant that would sweep the stadium. And yeah. it was in reference to the current occupant of the Oval Office, the president of the United States. And and it, it was a very rude word. It started with a rude yeah. word. And yeah. then his name, his full name. And, and so <clears throat> a driver... At a, at a not particular, you know, unique NASCAR race <clears throat> by the name of Brandon Brown, won a race. 
and he was being interviewed by a, by a reporter for one of the major networks. And as he was being interviewed, the crowd behind this interview in the stands nearby was shouting out the very rude comment about the mm. president of the United States. <clears throat> and the reporter, who whose name will go down in history now, she became instantly famous for us. She said, isn't that great? They're saying, let's go, Brandon. You know, let's go, Brandon. Let's go, you know, Brandon. Yeah. Let's go, uh, let's go, Brandon. And it instantly entered the English, uh, I won't say the language, but as a phrase, very, very, you know, very proper thing. And now it's just sweeping the country. Yeah. And very famous, the president was on the phone on Christmas Eve and was interviewing various families. And a person was very nice on the interview, but said at the end, let's go, Brandon. And he got the president of the United States to say, yes, let's go, Brandon. And (laughs) (laughs) and, and that became news. But the other thing is, the more that it's got enormously negative backlash from the left-wing media, left-wing media, Mm -hmm. I mean, on all levels of the left-wing media, you know, that this is an insurrection, that even saying this means that you're trying to tear down the United States, which is only gasoline for the fire, you know, it's it's really interesting. And what it is, that it's a very safe phrase that you can say, and everybody knows what the second meaning of it is. And my sense is the second meaning isn't so much about the person of the United States. It's about government, bureaucrats, and politicians in general who have screwed up. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I think. And, you know, it's kind of an interesting phenomenon and a language phenomenon, you know. It's actually a mainland phenomenon. It's a something that's being passed on in the mainland that the Cloudlandia picks up and amplifies. But a lot of this stuff is so, it, and it, but it does get amplified in Cloudlandia. Mm. People have, you know, false confidence, right? Because it's avatar confidence. Your, your avatar is saying these things, and it's easy to hide behind that in every way. Like, you look at, nobody would say the things that they say, even if you take it in, in local things, in Yelp well, reviews. That, yeah, it, in, it, yeah. It's troll it's troll bait. Right. You know? I mean, it's really, yeah. I mean, it's trolling is where you're, you know, you're essentially being a negative person in Cloudlandia in a way mm-hmm. that you probably wouldn't in the mainland. You wouldn't right. be that way in the right. mainland, but you can be that way in Cloudlandia. And generally you're anonymous, you know, you're, yeah. Yeah, you can't be identified as the right. source of this, and and it's fair game. You know, I mean, it's kind of like fair game, but it just happens to be that this phrase went right to the center of things, and it sort of does what it needs to do. It makes one side of the political spectrum feel good, and makes the other side of the political spectrum feel furious. And yeah. And the only way that the left, you know, and it's left and right, the only way that the left can actually make it disappear is by not responding to it. But it's impossible for them because their whole way of life is being triggered and they're being right. triggered by this. And you can trigger them forever. So can you imagine so, those, 
if could you imagine, Dan, if the, you think about uh, this uh, personalizing things, like you're trolling, you're hiding behind things. But imagine mm-hmm. if imagine if Twitter or Facebook decided to publish right there on your page your address and your home phone number. Right, so you're not really hiding anonymously behind things. Well, here's the thing about a, that, though. The the let me ask you, who's got yeah. time to look through the book that's related to Dean Jackson? Well, uh, you know, I don't even have that kind of time. Dean Jackson doesn't even have time to look at. That's that. right. I mean, I've written. Uh, I have roughly about twenty fairly large files of everything I've drawn and everything I've said since 1985. Babs, when she met me, she said, you know, I'm going to just save everything that Dan, anything I've written on a sheet of paper, or it's been transcribed, you know, from audio Mm -hmm. or video is in a file and it goes back 35 years, 35 Mm -hmm. years. I think it was 86 when it started. Mm -hmm. And ask me how many times I've gone to the files and look at what I said 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 25 years ago. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I, Dan, had a really interesting, I I told you I had that same thing. And now I I make it a part of my my weekly kind of reading. I go and I look at these things and I came across this treasure trove just two days ago. I found a small notebook. It was one of the moleskin pocket notebooks, like the ones that I use, that I had set aside as to keep the notes and thought process on one particular project. This was with just up as Joe and I were working with by referral. We were doing big seminars, <laughs> big Oh by the coaching. way, Joe is working. Joe what? Joe is working. Joe Stump? Oh, I I didn't realize you were talking about Joe Stump. No, I was talking about Joe Polish. He's working now. Yeah, his sabbatical okay. year is over. Okay. Oh, I thought it was going to be till uh, February, but that's his. No, 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 no. Okay, no. he's yeah. working. All right. Yeah, he's working. Well, I talked to him a couple of days or uh, just before uh, Christmas. I haven't talked to him. Yeah. Since, but Joe, so Joe Stump and I were working on this, and the project that I was working on was. From the beginning, we would we were doing half day workshops where we would do. We had a great email campaign and great direct mail to get people to register for the workshops. And then when they came to the workshops, we would routinely convert twenty percent of the people that came to the workshop would buy the main event, the three day training, and then forty percent of the people that came to the main event would join our $5,000 coaching program. So we had a machine that was like marching across the country every month doing this thing. And the project that I was working on was I, we, we I calculated out how much it would improve if I could bump up the number of people who actually attended the workshop from the moment they said, yeah, I'd like to come. And the workshop is, you know, two weeks later that they actually show up at the workshop. And so the difference between, say, a 30% attendance rate 
of people who say they're going to come to a physical location. This is sort of before webinars were even uh, possible. And this walking through this whole process, I had a whole notebook narrating the thought process, narrating the changes that we made, the scripts that we used. And, you know, I looked at through and at the end of this little thing, I had a documented, you know, documented project that yielded about four to five million dollars in increase in Mm -hmm. uh, the year by working on just that from the moment they press yes, the moment they say yes, I'll come. And Mm -hmm. it was such, yeah, such a, um, such a gem to have. Like I was just, I was blown away by my, the thought process and the clarity and even looking at it now, I hadn't looked at it in years. So it would be fun for you maybe to, to just do a, a selection, like fun, curate, just a fun thing looking back and knowing what you know now about something. Yeah, I, I, I mean, the whole point is that you can look at anything. My, yeah. my sense is anything that you look at in a concentrated fashion yeah. with the goal to, you know, what new things will I learn from this old day? What? You'll come up with something because your brain wants to do that. Your brain really doesn't care what you focus I know, that's on. What, I, that was a great freedom for me. Yeah, I, I mean, your that. brain doesn't really care. Your brain just wants to work on something. <laughs> yes. And and uh, that explains Hitler, and it explains, you know, it explains the greatest saint yeah. in history, you know, the greatest yeah. saint. They're just focused on something, and their brain goes to work on yeah. whatever they focus on. That's why you have to get kids on the right, you know, get them on the right focus when they're young, you know, because their brain will... Uh, the brain really doesn't care what it focuses on. Uh, something right. that a lot of people don't understand. Your brain doesn't care. Uh, yeah. The brain is not a caring. <laughs> it's not right. a cra- caring capability. It just wants to focus on something. Yeah. And do something. It wants to do something with what it's focused on. Yeah. That's an important. Yeah. I, th- I think that's an important consideration. Yeah. Yeah, that's what, that was what I was really loving was the really the thinking through. I could see that portion, and yeah, I, you know, it led me to believe. Led me what you were saying when I discovered that my brain doesn't care really what we're uh, thinking of. It it was really freeing in a way because then I really got it down to what is the. I think I mentioned to you about the verbs, right? The mechanical mm-hmm. positions that you're mm-hmm. in, and. You know, I think about where I'm sitting in my courtyard right now, and mm-hmm. I'm in a you know a comfy white couch. It's beautiful. I'm outside. It's it's uh, perfect temperature, and I've got my headset on and my iPhone, and that mechanical outcome. No matter what where what you are doing this for, having a conversation like this is one of those things. This is the same position I do podcasts or conversations or coaching calls or anytime I'm talking to somebody on the phone, there's a good chance this is the position I'm in. Mm-hmm. And there's mm-hmm. only, you know, there's only a few power positions that I have 
but <clears throat> is the content. My brain, I love to have, I love to have stimulating conversations. I love, and I love not even knowing. That's I think what's so joyful to me about the podcast with you is we, neither of us know what the conversation is going to be about. We just know it's going to be delightful for us. Yeah. And it's going to happen at exactly the same time every week without fail. Yeah. And the other thing is that no matter what we talk about, neither of us has any obligations to do anything afterwards. Right. Exactly. <laughs> That's the greatest thing. <laughs> yeah. We guarantee each other you're off the hook. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's like this is not going to, whatever we do over the next hour, it's not going to encumber each of us, either of our futures. In, in any, even with any homework. Right. Now, no homework from this class. It's That's all, right. It's all in class. You know, all yes. the work is in yeah. class. I, now, I just want to capture that thought. Wouldn't that be generally true about the move? I, I think that the mainland, the problem uh, of the mainland that's becoming more and more is that any kind of communication in the mainland tends to entail some sort of obligation after the encounter, whereas in Cloudlandia, that's not true. Mm. Well, I think you could have those kind of conversations on the mainland and not have that. But yeah, I think well, that, we yeah. had them before lockdown, so yeah, and everything. But my sense is that things I'll, I'll get tell you, Dan, though, I would give things get attached in the mainland in a way that, that it's like barnacles. It's like barnacles. Mm. You're a ship, and in the mainland, you pick up barnacles, and in Codlandia. Yeah, in Cloudlandia, there's something about your using Cloudlandia uh -huh. that says all we're going to do engage with each other on this level, and yes. the only way there will be an obligation is if we agree to the obligation afterwards. Do you know? I think I'm testing that. I'm going all the way back now. That the actual, the most, the most <laughs> wonderful barnacle that came out of a mainland conversation was our table 10 conversation about procrastination yeah. that turned into we left with homework and came on the next day. And well, yeah, we carried through both of us carried through the next day. And, and then my contribution was to that. Let's put it in the schedule 12 months yeah. ahead. Yeah. Right. And that was, that was something like now. You look at this as been, it's one of the most, I think, there's zero friction around it for either mm -hmm. of us. There's zero wondering or, you know, if it's going to happen or, or we need to schedule anything. I think there's a freedom in just knowing that it's going to happen. Mm -hmm. And that's the only time we think about it. I think it's positioned in a, a sweet spot in the week that is like a perfect uh, position for it. And every conversation is wonderful. And I think they shape big things, but it's not with any, I mean, certainly shape the way I think about things without any, like you said, barnacles or obligation or any uh, intentional 
Yeah, yeah, and it's really, really interesting. You know, this, you introduce, you just introduced the concept called friction, and we know yeah. from the mainland that the things that escaped friction in the mainland tended to prosper, while the things that didn't escape friction tended to fall behind and gradually fail. And mm-hmm. what what I mean by that is that you know, if you could get somebody else to do what you wanted done and you had the power to get them to do it, that was a reduction in friction for your life. It may have been an yeah. introduction of tremendous friction in their life, but you know, we call it slavery. You know, we yeah. we call it we call it slavery. And then we found out that there was Certain things that could facilitate, like animals, we could use animals instead of human beings, we could use fire instead of animals, we could use wind, we could use water power, and then we had the Great Breakthrough, which I think happened in, actually it happened in 1776, the best steam engine, James Watt, was in 1776, and he said, uh, this has the power to multiply our efforts uh, with no increase in friction, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and my sense is that as individuals, let's depart from the world I've just described, is that we have a certain amount of energy, we, and we yeah. sense how much energy we have for things. And yeah. we would like to get the biggest return on our available energy with the least amount of friction. Yes. I agree. That's 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I think. And I think I think that this is really what the movement of Cloudlandia from the mainland to why it will increase in momentum is that we see friction as things that make us unhappy. And we see escaping we we see escaping friction as things that generally make us feel better. Yes. And that, a lot of that fits with our unique abilities and our... our Who, not how. That, yes, that's exactly right. You know, I, I read... VCR. VCR. Yeah. I heard a term, Dan, that is, I think, going to be a big piece of going forward here, like free zone collaborations, that there's... Have you ever heard the term DAO, D-A-O, which you, you were talking about that quandro or whatever. Quango, uh, Quango, 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 Quango. Well, that reminded me of what a, a DAO is a thing that's in the NFT world. Now the smart contract world of decentralized autonomous organizations that come together with specific yeah. outcome in mind for this particular smart contract that allows people to collaborate together under a transparent trust-based situation. Yeah. And I think that's really opens up the world for the free zone. Well, and I think there's a general movement towards this because there's always, you know, for each of us, there's a limited amount of energy. There's a limited amount of time and there's a limit, you know, we're measured on result over time. 
you know, that's what productivity is. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much results did you produce and how much time did it take you to produce it? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a general sense of movement towards that. I think it's mostly unconscious and I think it's mostly intuitive. You know, in other words, I don't think that there are many people when they do their New York New Year resolutions yesterday or the day before said, you know, over the next year, I want to increase my amount of results in the 365 days. I want it to be twice as much as last year. I don't think they put it in those terms. I don't think people are that close to understanding what it's about, but it's really, you know, and I'm really looking at it because one of the ways that I deal with the, you know, the increase of my chronological years is to be getting done more next year at age 78, you know, I'm on my way to 79. So about half, half the year I'm 77 and half the year I'm 78. Mm-hmm. I want to compare at the end of this uh, calendar year, which mm-hmm. would be a year from now, looking back over the year, I got twice as much done during this year with the available time than I did when I was a year younger. That's interesting. That's a, a really, do you have a sense, Dan, how, how many hours do you have? Like, you know, this concept of hoot up hours or, you know, that, that was such mm-hmm. a great uh, concept of yeah. there. And when I started looking at the hours as investable asset blocks, mm-hmm. you know, like a, a, mm-hmm. a thousand hours as a thing, do you have a sense of how many hours you deploy kind of in that? My sense is it's pretty constant from one year to the other, and it has been yeah. for 25 years. Okay. Uh, and, and because it's based the breaking of things down into free days, focus days, and buffer days. Yes. Okay. And pretty much the number of the amount of work I put in this year will be equal to the amount of work I put in 10 years ago, just because Uh Babs at the beginning of the year lays out the entire year in terms of how many free days we're going to have, and then how many focus days do we have, and then how many buffer days we have. So Mm -hmm. it's it's constant enough to be that the number of hours I'll have for productive activity this year is the same as 10 years ago. I can say that. But the results will be easily 10 times greater. Mm-hmm. And that makes me feel terrific. Yeah, that. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of interesting. Ben Hardy just sent me a little note, and he said, I want you to know, he said, and this may not seem like a big deal, but our book is holding steady at book number 2,700. Uh-huh. Okay. And I said, 2,700? And then I talked to him about this, and he says, against against 5 million books, we're 2,000. So we're in the top 1%. We're in the top one-tenth of right. 1% of all, all books that are for sale yeah. in the world this year. Yeah. He says, this is pretty terrific. He says, this is pretty terrific. And we're not doing any marketing. He said, you know, Hay House cuts off marketing. After, you know, three or four months, they kind of, you know, they cast yeah. the bottle into the sea with a message right. and see how many beaches it comes yeah. out on. And he said, and it just he says every week about the same number of books are sold. You know, it's roughly about a thousand a week. 
gets uh-huh. old, and he says just constant, and and so it's, it's very interesting because I didn't have that number, I didn't have that context or anything right. before he told me, but I said, you know, that's that's almost like compound interest. Yeah, it just works. You know, it just right. works. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah, it just works. You know, and last year was the worst year. 2020 was the worst business year we've ever had in terms of how much of a loss from the year before. Right. I mean, there was no comparison, right. but we broke even. We broke even mm-hmm. from a revenue standpoint and our net worth went up. Our net worth went up significantly. And that's because of real estate prices of Toronto residential property. Oh, you say, oh, your personal net worth. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Some guy came and knocked on our door and he said, I'm going to give you a number. Here, I got it on a sheet. I'm just going to show you to all three of your places. He said, I'll give it to you in cash. Oh, really? Yeah, and Bab said, no, no, we like it here. <laughs> uh-huh, right, right. Where are we going to go? Yeah. Wait, what are we going to buy? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> What are we going to buy that gives us more pleasure? It's like your, it's like your, your oasis, uh, your celebration yeah. oasis. So what would I could get? What could I get with the money? Yeah. I, I couldn't get. I don't care how much money you pay me. I couldn't get what matches my pleasure. Well, Dan, you know you're 77 years old now. It's probably time to start thinking about maybe downsizing to a nice little condo. So you don't have to do all the maintenance. Yeah, we could move to the Hazleton. We could buy one of the condos. In the there By you the go. way, the one restaurant closed down on December 31st. Yeah. Well, of course it did. I mean, what do you, I mean, this is, it's a tough time to be in a restaurant. Restaurant business is really tough. Yeah. First of all, yeah. I mean, just to get people to show up for work. Yeah. And then not knowing how many customers are going to show up. Yeah. And then the prices of food have gone up. Yeah. We had a, we had interesting, like, so last year was kind of a fit and start year. Like, I've come into 2021 thinking, okay, I think that's all going to kind of, by the second half of the year, we'll be yeah. ready to go, right? And for, you know, a, a large portion of our revenue comes from live events and that was, you know, going from doing 10 live events a year to doing, uh, I did two live events last year. We did, but I got them timed in the perfect trough, you know, like yeah, it was, yeah, there was, you did. on the downslope in June, I got in right at the it bottom. Was kinda like, then, it was kind of like August to the end of October. Yeah. I got in June and then in December, I got right before the Omicron, you know, thing hit in. And now, you know, this year seems, who knows now where this, where this goes, but it's really, it's been interesting things because I look back at where my, my role, like I look, it's been uh, 10 years ago now, Dan, this year, 10 years was the first Breakthrough Blueprint event. Yep. I came, I remember, yep. From a conversation that you and I had about, yeah, I, I remember do? the the stool I was sitting on in my kitchen when they talked to you about. It? Yeah, yeah, I can remember the exact conversation. So I was thinking about that. How, how, what would you do, Dean, if you could spend the rest of your life just doing what you love to do? Yeah, 
that's what it was. And as I'm thinking about that now, I really, I was saying to Luba, we were having a conversation that one of the things that I find sort of mildly dissatisfying about what I do is that I, if you just take it down to the essence, is essentially I am, people are giving me money to show them how to convince other people to give them money. Yep. And I thought about the other thing that if they're coaches or consultants or practitioners that teach other practitioner things, they're essentially giving me money to show them how to give other people to give them money to show them how to get real people yep. Yep. to give them yep. money. Yep. And what I really miss is the front line of this, right? Like the, I realized within these collaboration uh, things that my, and I've said this with Joe, with just um, two, that was a peak, both financial and, you know, professional and maximum use of my uh, skill kind of thing in that collaboration of, of focusing on one part of the being one part of the, the team, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to being a full, and, and it, it, often, it was an interesting thing when we were, when we were, we stopped doing the main events in 2009. And that was, it was perfect timing when, uh, of course the collapse and everything. And it was, we'd reached the peak of the model that we had and Terry Hunnefeld was ready to, go off and bird and so we all decided we'd just let's just go our our separate ways uh, like go on our go have a new chapter now and it was an interesting thing that what i sort of was looking at then was i wanted my and the, at the term i used was sovereignty which was an interesting thing because i was still you know being part of a team like that was it wasn't, I felt at that point, and if I look at back as less of an entrepreneur kind of thing than being a sovereign entrepreneur who's running the whole show. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah. like that. I do, I do exactly. And I'll just throw out a thought that I have about that that yeah. part of the sovereignty of being an entrepreneur is that you're betting your past on the future. Mm-hmm. In other words, that periodically you're taking in a lot of what you've gained and not everything you've yeah. gained cause I don't know, and you're putting it on the table as a yeah. bet on a future possibility. And yeah. I think that the sovereignty of an entrepreneur is that you can do that continually throughout your life where, yeah. Uh, somebody who is in the employment world, for example, yeah. has to bet on an education, has to bet on an organization, has to bet on a place, has to bet on a market. And then it only the bet is only good for about 20 or 30 years. And if you haven't won at the end of 30 years, you've lost. Yeah. Yeah. And I that's think that's it. why there's a desperateness in the 
uh, what I would call the media narrative that a lot of people are realizing that they were given a, a free pass to the future by where they were born, yeah. what kind of parents they had, what kind of neighborhood they grew up with, what kind of school system they went through, and who they got hired by. They thought that was a free pass to the future. And my uh -huh. feeling is that wherever there were guarantees backing that up, the guarantees aren't there anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, for example, I was looking at, you know, media people who are pretty well known, you know, like they would show pictures of broadcast media. This would be, yeah. you know, the major TV, the major TV. Yeah. And, you know, it's five or six of them, including the networks. Yeah. There's the three networks plus Fox. CNN and MSNBC, you know, yeah. those are the six. And I was looking at people who have hour, like they have an hour in prime time and they're getting paid $400,000 a year. Okay. And I said, boy, given, you know, where they are and how they had to work to get here, I don't think that's a, bit, a very, a, and what they have to think about every day because they're nervous right. about tomorrow. They are always nervous about tomorrow. Yeah. And I said, I, I don't know if this is such a great, I don't think that they bet on a great deal. Yeah, right. Yeah, you think, you know, that, I often think about that. I mean, where... I mean, people said 400,000. You know what I would do with 400,000? I said, I can tell you that where they live and what they pay for, right. you could buy a lot more. You could buy a lot more with 400,000 than they can. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you wonder, I right? Mean, and it's all at the whim of other people, too. That's really... Yeah, nice. and mm -hmm. not even the whim of other people. The whim, yeah. the latest meme, you know, the, yeah, the right. latest narrative. Mm -hmm. I mean, your whole career could be destroyed tomorrow because a new narrative has started, and you were late. Well, I would think about Billy Bush, like poor, you know, Billy Bush. Billy Bush. All of these things. You know, <laughs> guy had a great, happy, the, had a dream life. A dream job. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, that's just, it's something, isn't it? No, no. One, and I one guy becomes that, president, the other guy's off in obscurity. Yeah, but here's the thing about that. You use two words. You use entrepreneurism, which I think is halfway to freedom. Yeah. But the other halfway freedom is that the thing you chose to be an entrepreneur in, is it something that is infinitely transformable? Yeah. Yes, that's true. In other words, that your entrepreneurial career is not tied to anybody else's product. It's not tied to anybody no. else's service. It's not tied to any marketplace. And, you know, I think that the Breakthrough Blueprint is... Uh, Sovereign. I think it's yeah. sovereign. Doesn't How matter if you did it. If you went back fifty years, it would have been valuable. If you go forward fifty years, it's that's what I love about the the model. The model. Yeah, it's is a absolutely platform. That. That's what I say. It's a platform. This. The truth is, and I recognize this with myself, is that you you the moment that you came up with the blueprint, the the breakthrough blueprint. Mm -hmm. You you established a free zone collaboration. And what I be, mean by that is that everybody who signs up for your workshop every mm -hmm. year is a collaborator with you in improving the platform. Yes, that's true. And they pay you 
mm-hmm. so many dollars to come and contribute to the mm-hmm. dur- durability and the expansion of your platform. Yeah, I think about now, like that's an interesting, um, yeah, it's an interesting debrief for me thinking about 10, 10 years that that June of this June of this year will be the 10 year anniversary. Oh, and two. Or uh, yeah. 12. 12. 22. Yeah. Yeah. So it was June 2012 was the very first, the very first Spike Blueprint. And that was, you know, that be, I'm thinking now, like looking back at what's the wisdom, the things that have evolved from that. Like it all it helps the, it, it's been an interesting, you know, pattern of what's happened because out of this, you know, one of the things that we uh, have evolved are all of the ancillary things that we do to support people in implementing the breakthrough blueprint, because we've got the, you know, I, I always say to people, our profit activator too is compelling people to raise their hand, right? Getting generating leads. Using books is the best way that we have of doing that. And of course, yeah. that that led to the 90-minute book uh, business, yeah. which is a thriving business that's been helping thousands of people write books and use those lead generators. We just had a, I always get a joy out of these things like our, you know, Dr. Chris Milkey one of my mm-hmm. um, clients also that we did a book with him called the, the planter fasciitis solution and <laughs> run ads on Facebook to generate, you know, within a radius of where his practice is in, in Wisconsin. And um, he texted me a couple of months ago saying, you know, his patients are up 26% this year. Mm-hmm. With and some of it directly attributable to the book itself, but a lot of it from the going from the book to the Facebook page to his website, calling yep. with him. Same thing with the bathroom boutique in Miami, and seeing all of these, you know. So knowing what I know now compared to what I knew then. It's a real. It's been. A, it's a really interesting. It's a really interesting thing. And the dynamic now that we have is that it's definitely. We definitely are in an age where it's. It's um, increasingly easy to be to provide a who service for yep. those things, yep. rather than show somebody how to write a book or how to do the thing is we're doing more we're moving into more free zone collaboration yeah, yeah and i think i think the big thing is that technology is free freeing up human beings from the need to be machines yeah uh, i mean you can look at it you know you know i mean the I, i'm reading an interesting book and it's worth a read on your part too it's called what tech calls thinking so what tech t-e-c-h calls mm-hmm. thinking and the author's name is, I think, Adrian, A-D-R-A-N, Baum, B-A-U-M, German, teaches mm-hmm. at Stanford University. So he's right in the heart of Silicon Valley. 
Uh And he said, you know, here's the thing that you don't understand about the communication platforms. And he says, we're starting to get some distance that we can actually get a look at the, so we're looking at uh, Facebook and Twitter and, you know, Instagram and, you know, you know, Google. He said, they're not selling, they're not selling information. They're selling triggers. Mm. And you notice something about them because you just got triggered. You just got triggered. And they then and they say who gets tr- triggered the most by what we just showed and how long do they get triggered and where do the triggers create other triggers? Okay. And it's not about yeah. information at all. It's, it's simply about triggers. Mm-hmm. And he said what they're trying to do is they're trying to match up a machine algorithm with a human algorithm that if we repeat this machine algorithm, the human algorithms will all uh, all get triggered. And he said, that's their business model. So, uh, yeah, and so the whole point is, but he said, you have to understand their platforms. So they couldn't care less about anything except that their platform is getting better at matching human algorithms or machine algorithms up with human algorithms, you know, Mm, and... uh, so I noticed because I cut off television, you know, I'm in my fourth year of cutting off television. Yeah. And I just noticed I don't get triggered by, by four years later, I don't get triggered by very much anything. Somebody sent out a, you know, really, you know, the world is falling apart, you know, get ready to right. dig the bunk, a bunker, make sure right. that you have enough yeah. food to last a year. And I, yeah, I was yeah. watching this and I said, I bet he's watching television. <laughs> I bet you're right. And yeah. of course, and the I new said, television. And I bet he's on. I bet he's on. You know, two or three social media platforms. I bet he's getting yeah. triggered. And I said, and so he, and so, and the other thing is that his getting triggered actually gets him to buy all sorts of stuff that he's never bought before. You know, I mean, right. You know, he's buying a year's worth of emergency food. You know, and emergency water and you know medical supplies and he's taking training and first aid and he's yeah uh, going to the firing range with more guns than he used to go to and everything like that and i said you know this guy's really a kind of an ideal consumer <laughs> that's great yeah yeah i said capitalism doesn't really care what you buy they just want you buying <laughs> <laughs> that's all that's what makes it all go around Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, a customer can show up in any possible form for any possible reason. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you buy. It <laughs> doesn't matter what you buy. <laughs> That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very funny. Anyway, well, this was a pleasure, and we opened up yes. some themes here that are worth pursuing. Absolutely. And future one. Yeah. All right. I love it. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, I'm all set for next week because I'm locked down. Me too. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll talk to you. Okay. Bye. Okay, bye.